Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Penny Lane Podcast. On this episode, Blaine is joined by Merritt Black from Apteros Trading to discuss building a trading playbook, adding to your toolkit, the importance of keeping it simple, and more. Big thanks to our sponsor, Roback. Make sure you subscribe to the Penny Lane Podcast YouTube channel and rate, review, and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. Merritt, hi. Welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me on, on your lane. Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy to have you. Also, what a pun. I mean, that was fantastic. So um, you're from Alabama, is that right? Roll Tide, I am, yes. <laughs> Snuck it in there. I'll allow it. That's fine. Um, I went to college at the University of Georgia, and my brother- I almost went to Georgia as well. Oh, did you go to Alabama? I went to UAB. The, the, yeah. the nerd version of, of Alabama, yes. Fantastic. Uh, my brother was in a fraternity. He was the president of a fraternity at Georgia. And there were a lot of people from Alabama in his fraternity. And he said to me one time, you know, I've never met a person from Alabama I didn't like. And oh, really? And I found it to really hold true. Well, they're out there. <laughs> Just keep looking. <laughs> I always, I always do, especially if you encounter someone from Alabama at a bar or a party where you like kind of need to become fast friends, you've really, you've really found something there. And I I would say, I would say the same exact thing about people from Georgia. I really would. And by the way, Athens is such a great town. I mean, it's a great town, great music town. Um, Just really cool. It, it, I mean, the music the music is, I'm a massive music person, and it was cool to just, like, live in that. And one of the people I was friends with in college started a band called The Wigs, like the political party, W-H-I-G-S. And yeah. they've gone on to be, like, a very big band. And being there during the formation On the of ground level, and, like, yeah, watching them in a they coffee were shop. Yeah. their album, and, like, it was just like, we're doing it. I mean, it was cool. It was cool. That's so cool. Yeah. So, um, I really don't know much about you. I have gotten to know a little bit, I guess, about your philosophy just through place your trades, but you as a person, I really don't know much about your journey or anything. Would you give me your elevator pitch of who you are as a trader? Yeah. Um, I fell in love with markets literally as a child, as like a 12 year old. Um, got my parents to drive me to the bookstore, started just reading books, um, kind of luckily I feel like went down kind of a technical analysis, um, route instead of maybe the fundamental. So I feel like I, I, I'm lucky that I went down that path. Um, you know, just with, I have literally like journals from when I was in high school about like, you know, trader journals of like learning how to use technical tools and read price action and all this kind of stuff. So by the time I was in high school, I was literally trading, um, you know, like an account in my dad's name. I've saved up my money, given like violin lessons and tennis lessons and just put it all into an account. And, you know, of course didn't do well. You know, I wasn't like some phenom that came out and was just like naturally gifted at it. I always tell people I was probably the worst natural person cut out to trade um, that, that could be. Um, but anyways, um, did really well, moved kind of, I had an internship that kind of led me to understand um, Forex. And then 
started trading FX markets. Um, and then I wanted to started uh, managing other people's money and um, started real just with some friends and family stuff and then actually started legit like actual CTA and whatnot and moved to futures because that was a place where I could um, trade on a real exchange. Like Forex is kind of like crypto. It's kind of like behind, you know, back alley kind of trading stuff. So um, that brought me to the future space, which is a place where, I, where I've obviously now never left. Um, didn't do any good managing other people's money. Did terrible. Couldn't handle the pressure. My first kind sure. of real big foray into that uh, as a 20-year-old. Um, and so then went back and did my own thing. Um, ended up firing off a one-off kind of email based on a recommendation of my buddy who said, hey, you remind me of this trader in um, Mike Bellafiore's book at SMB Capital. And I was like, oh, I've never read the book. I've, I've never heard of them, blah, blah, blah. And I started looking into them, and I was like, wow, I really relate with these guys, really like the culture of what I'm reading about. Um, fired off an email. Next thing you know, I'm a couple rounds in an interview. Next thing you know, I'm moving to big the New York City from a dirt road in Alabama, <laughs> right? So um, that was that was a, a, a grand adventure. Um, and then, you know, a couple years experience under my belt, some ups and downs with stocks, which led me to back to futures, back to what I could really do well. And then that led me to starting my own prop desk, which I have now, Apteros Trading, and, uh, and here we are. Um, I could talk more about style or methodology or all kinds of things like that, but I'll, I'll leave it up to you. That's kind of my, my story of how I am where, where I am now. I love that story, and this maybe is a strange place to start, but you're good enough at tennis to teach tennis. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I could have played college tennis most anywhere. I, I At UAB, it's actually a good good tennis program, D1 program. Derek Tarr is a coach out there, and um, I kind of walked on my freshman year when I was still in high school and kind of tried out for the team and stuff, and you know, I would have been the only American on the team. They said I could I could be on the team if I wanted. I probably wouldn't play my freshman year, but I'd probably play my sophomore year. But I was like, you know what? I don't have time for a degree in molecular biology and trading stocks and doing that all the time and then tennis as well. So I was like, let's just move on to the adult phase of life. I'm not going to be a pro. I, so my co-host, who no longer co-hosts with me, but my brother-in-law could also, he was very, very, very good at tennis. And we like to talk very much on the podcast about how trading is life, is sports. So I like to really equate trading to golf. I mean, those of you who have listened, you've heard me ad nauseum talk about golf and trading. Do you play golf? Not really. A little bit. But I grew up in a very much of a golf culture. Um, So I understand, and I play enough to know how amazing it can be to hit the perfect shot and how horrible it can be to hit a ball (laughs) not the right way and how easy it is to whiff a ball when you're really in your head, which all goes into my trading all the time. Like, is there anything better than hitting the sweet spot of a ball? And I or hitting a perfect tree. I don't know. Anyway, this is my own thing, but I do love sort of like the dedication to sport and the playing of a sport and the mental 
taking responsibility. Um, yes. It's not all about you from a team sport. Yeah, all that stuff is just huge. Being able to handle adversity, handle setbacks. Sport, uh, sports are just great for, for life and for trading. They really are. Totally. I'm in the process of teaching my son how to play baseball. I played, Softball was the thing that I played, not golf. But it is so interesting. He's eight years old, and we're in the batting cage, and I'm pitching to him, and we're, we're really working through it. And he is in a, a hitting slump. And he got to be in a hitting slump because his coach said to him that he thought he could make all-stars this year. Mm-hmm. And he immediately went into a hitting slump. So we're working our way out of it. We're getting some good hits. We're doing some wiffle balls. Um, and the parallel between that and, like, my own trading of, like, the moment. The moment oh, yeah. I'm, like, feeling some confidence. And I'm like, I think I might have it. It's like... No, you don't. And at, at this at this stage in my career, and and this still happens, I will find myself. But I've gone through enough cycles of the slumps and recoveries to now be on top of it, of it a little more and be more self aware of it. So maybe I can avoid the cycle or at least the depth of the cycle. Um, for me, one thing that I'll do is if I ever find myself at eight o'clock at night. Pulling up my stats and admiring them like a work of art, uh -huh. that look out, look out. <laughs> and so now it's not like I don't have to go really screw up in the next day or two. I kind of can say, hey, you're checking out your stats. You better be careful here. You're kind of on the upslope of things, getting ready to kind of take a dip. So um, it's... It's funny how with experience we can kind of shorten or at least reduce severity of, of some of those cycles. And we all have them. We all have them, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't... Bryce Harper has, has slumps. I, so I actually am... Yes, I've worked with some really, really good baseball players through getting my... I just happen to like have some connections to people who are amazing at baseball who have talked mm -hmm. to my son about this. And, you know, I can't tell my son, like, you're, you're fine. You can hit the ball. You're a good player. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing, there's nothing anybody can do. And, like, of course, I want to take away that pain, and I want him to be just, like, crushing homers. You know, I love it. But, man, it is such an individual thing. And I – I'm just – I go, this happens to me on the podcast. I like have people on, I want to talk about you. And then I end up just telling you about me, which is <laughs> fantastic. It's good. But it's good. you know, it's like all the help in the world. I've got, I've got literally any resource I want kind of at my fingertips and at all, all these people who are willing to help me. And I just, there's, you got to do it yourself. You know, nobody can do it for you. For sure. Um, I think uh, in trading and, and with, you know, um, I, may, I put a tweet out the other night about art and, and becoming a master at art and whatnot. I think first being unoriginal is important. Um, you do want to take what you can from people and learn and build good fundamentals and skills and whatnot. And then I think especially in trading, because trading is not a physical game. It is a mental game, right? Like in the most complex 
stressed out, difficult times, we're not really doing much, right? We might move our arm or our hands a little bit or our eyeballs, but it's literally, a, it's, it's in here, right? So um, that more so even makes the next phase after learning as much as you can from, from good people to then becoming your own, right? And, and aligning the good fundamentals and the good skills with timeframes that make sense for you and your strengths and your weaknesses as a person, um, methodology, niche, and, and kind of carving that space out that you really believe in. It's hard to believe in. You know, when I teach people kind of a methodology and whatnot, sometimes they have, they have more trouble, you know, early on pulling the trigger, doing the things that they should because they haven't adopted it as their own yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so anyways, it's, uh, it's really important to, to understand that there is that progression. I know you've got a lot of people in your camp that are helping you and whatnot, but, you know, sometimes there can be too many cooks in the kitchen. Sometimes you can totally. be – that's one of the – I mean, one of the things that I wanted to ask you today was like, have you developed what I would call a playbook, a, a, a collection of setups with Edge that have names that are specific trades outside of, let's say, generic strategies? No. So my most consistent trade, I've put together two very long streaks of trading well and both of those streaks uh were with one stock so i did it with apple for a very long time and then i kind of tried to like broaden out of apple and things i actually moved to netflix and things so it was an apple specific strategy that so, like only works on that stock or? Well, so I got so obsessed with Apple that I noticed these inefficiencies between Spy and Apple that I could like exploit. So knowing like how interwoven they are, I could kind of like jump in before a move or something. That's, so I that is, have those that's nuts charts. to hear. That's bizarre. That's amazing. Good <laughs> yeah. for you. And You're I like just Rain like, Man or something over there. Literally worked. one of the most watched stocks in the world. <laughs> You're finding little inefficiencies in that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I just got, I just got like very narrowly focused on it and then was like, I can do it with anything. Well, no, no, I could, you know, I just was like, I had a thing. So, um, I'm trading SPY now, which there are not, I'm basically doing the exact same thing with SPY between ES and SPY. It's the same kind of methodology of trading them off, or I only trade SPY, but trading it off that. And then I also will use Apple actually as well, but anyway, that's it. That's how I... That's how I do it, which is like I'm I just shook. like developed. I'm absolutely my own. shook. I never, I didn't in a million years. I did not expect that. That's what you would tell me that you were doing. It's unbelievable. <laughs> is it super super short term? Is it algorithmic at all, or is it just discretionary? Or um, 
so I have levels that I have like permanent levels and then daily levels and um, I have those on all the charts. So if I see one of the stocks kind of like moving from a major level to another major level and then SPY hasn't like gotten to that level that I know it needs to hold oh. to get to the next one, I can like jump in early and then I know it like once it gets to that level and holds, then I have all of this upside or all of this downside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're so uh, did I hear right that you're using the stock as kind of the driver and the first tell, and then you're expressing that in the sometimes lagging indices as a whole? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yeah. yes. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I've never heard of anybody else I, I just developed it myself. Like I didn't learn that from anyone, which is like kind of strange because there's no, there's no person, right? To be like, this is the way it's done. But, um, so I, you know, I retweeted your tweet about art. So I'm a painter. Mm. I've been a painter my whole life. I've painted, I'm 38 years old. I've been painting for 38 years. It took me 35 four years to get good enough at it to be like, this is me, right? Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. But I know how important that is to find your own voice in something like, right? I have to own what I'm doing and it doesn't really have to make sense to anybody else. But like, if right. I know that like, this is the trigger of when I want to get in this stock, then, or spy, then, um, I don't know, it makes, it like somehow works for me, but I don't think I could ever write a book about like exactly so, how, so how it's done. Have you begun to break down, let's say that what I'm hearing, I'm sure there's times where let's say a stock breaks through a level, for example, mm -hmm. and um, SPY hasn't broken through its resistance perhaps yet, and you get ahead of that breakout and, and you know, then you can control your risk because it's through a major level. You don't want to see it come back below there. You know that there's room to the next level, therefore risk rewards in your favor. Totally. So, and there's perhaps times where it's more of, let's say something failing at a level and starts mm -hmm. to fail back below it early. And then you could short spy or whatever to, to have you begun to track or categorize the differences in those trades. So for example, breakout failures versus breakouts versus um, uh, mean reversions or trend continuation plays, or have you started to categorize those trades and, and then maybe start to track the success of, of, the, of the individual categories? No, but that sounds very interesting. Absolutely. I... You might be really successful in some of them and some of them might be a drain on your P&L. Very often that's what we find. So we will, we do what's called tag our trades. We use, um, mm -hmm. have you ever heard of TraderView? Tra mm -hmm. Trader V-U-E. So we yes. always upload our trades into TraderView. We tag them and then we can say, all right, show me over the past month these various, let's say five categories of this SPY versus Apple or whatever you're doing trading style. Let's look at what categories are really performing well and what aren't, and then maybe dive into it further. And it, anyways, it could just be really helpful to start to get subcategories within this overall niche that you're creating. 
for sure. Uh, so I think of myself as a breakout trader. Um, I would probably categorize myself that way. And it's been interesting, like once I put myself in that box to like then look back on it and be like, but is that really what you're best at? And it's, it's like, it's not. I think I just want to be a breakout trader. But breakouts have not been working as well recently. So, yeah. You the know, the, you the head of... fake trader is the superior uh, <laughs> play these days. Yeah. With totally. this With this whipsaw back and forth volatility, um, you know, the way I see it is we the market is doing a really good job of seeking liquidity and finding stops. And so it blows out levels. It sucks in and traps people. And then reverses. So I've the adjustment. One of the biggest adjustments I've made in the past six to eight months in my trading is scalping a little more. So narrowing in my time frames and and also taking profits quicker. Um, today I held longer because it was a little bit of an exception. A, a, you know, not normal with the news catalyst and and what happened this morning. Um, but in general, I've been in and out quicker not looking for the big targets and, and, and whatnot. So I have been trying to take bigger sizes with much, much smaller stops. Mm -hmm. Requires more has, skill to do that. It has been a little tricky to yes. do that. But I thought like I had a good base. I put, I got, I felt good about where I was. And then I was like, I think you can really like load it up if if like this is your stop you could put on a bigger size knowing that this is your stop or the other way around whatever. Yeah, the closer your entry is to the 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 point at which you're wrong, the bigger you can get in a trade while maintaining the same amount of risk. That's how I trade yep. for sure. Yep. But then I get a little caught up on like cuz usually that will be at a level and I'm like how far am I going to let it like go over this level before I'm like, it's past the level. I've gotten a little caught up there. And when I only have a smaller size, it, you know, it, I'm not down that much by the time I'm like, well, it's clearly like I got to cut this. But now yeah. it like the number shock of like, and, and so oh, yeah. I've gotten, I've started cutting cause I'm just like scared. And then it, it like works. So it's just a problem of like, you're doing it right. But you're like trading your PL, which Exactly. Know. Do you do you have a really good written out risk plan in terms of how much with with let's say this tighter stop trading, bigger size trading, how much do you want to risk in order to find out if a trade's gonna work or not? Do you have like a target risk that you want to risk? Or is it, I'm just kind of bigger here because I can be, and you want to get really specific about it because if you get that number in mind and you do a quick calculation, all right, how, where would, where's like an emergency level in which this trade is clearly wrong? How far is that? Okay. It's 22 ticks, 22 ticks into, if I want to risk, you know, 500 bucks on this trade is XYZ size for whatever you're trading, right? Mm -hmm. You do that real quick. You bang in and you know you've done the right thing. You've, you know, like no pain, no gain, right? No risk, right, no right. reward. So we want to, I view risk as 
something that I should target, right? Rather than something I want to avoid. So I want to put the correct amount of risk on to simply put myself in a position to see if lady market lets me get lucky here or not, right? I never know which if it's going to work or not, but I know that I have, number one, identified a trade for my style, a category of my trading that I know the name of the trade, what it is exactly, size it appropriately to for my target R value, as we like to call it, one unit of risk, R value, um, and then let it let it work or let it not work. So getting specific can actually, instead of like, some people think getting more specific with kind of like risk and rules and things like that, um, makes them like claustrophobic and feels like they're losing control or whatever, but you actually gain control. You actually gain control, which then frees you up because now, let's say that you had been trading where, okay, you know, I'm down 200 bucks on a trade, no big deal or whatever. But now all of a sudden in a flash, you're down 500, right? And it's like, whoa, sticker shock. So plan it out, quite simply. Plan it out in, in terms of, I, maybe you still only want to risk 200 per trade, and maybe you're a little too big in the trades, actually, and you're, for the room that you do want to give them. So mm -hmm. it's just something that it's, it's a growing pain. It's a good pain to, to work through, and it'll take you a couple of attempts, but the more specific you can get around planning for it, the easier it's going to become, and the more you'll be able to sit back in your chair and, and breathe instead yeah. of getting concerned about the number. Yep. That's really, really good advice. Um, so... In the middle of my Apple run and my SPY run, I took a little dip into um, swing trading. Okay. And I like really studied those setups and the EMAs and the breakout level and exactly when I wanted to buy. And I got like really very good at that. And it was a lovely way to trade because I basically just put in a buy order. Like I didn't even have to, I just like knew if it hit Oh, you level. had a limit in it where you wanted. Okay. Right. Just I've never traded that way. That's, that's, that's and, pretty cool. And then once it hit, my stop was low of day. And that, it, okay. like, that was the whole system. And you could hang on to it sort of for, the hope was for three or three to five days, you would like hold it and take some off during the trade. Uh -huh. And the only reason I don't do that anymore is because <laughs> the group that I was trading with uh, meets pre-market, which I don't really have that time available anymore. So I, I kind of stopped doing that. But I loved that method of like, it. this is completely out of your control. Like you look for the setups and then you, like all I have to do once I'm in is put in the stop. And it was, it was really lovely. So... I'm, I would like to transfer that learning onto what I'm doing now, where it becomes like I know immediately where this stop is, but I haven't. Exactly. Yeah. Haven't you'll, you'll figure something out, whether it's um, it, the thing about stops is that, and you're inherently doing this with something like you were like low of day relative to where you get in, it's essentially dynamic in terms of adjusting for volatility, right? Because if you got a big wide moving day and then you get your entry or whatever, well, guess what? Your stop's going to be wider, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully you're sizing that trade appropriately for how wide that stop is to target a consistent risk. Yeah. Um, 
with with what I hear a lot, what I see a lot of people do really wrong is they say, I trade the S&P with a four-point stop. That's what I do. Well, really, you, you, you're going to trade the S&P with a four-point stop when there's a 100-handle range on the day, and you're also going to trade with a four-point stop when there's a 10-handle range, and you know whenever we're going to see those times again. But anyways, there used to be during the summer. <laughs> um, it, you, you need stops to be dynamic based on market-generated information, based on what type of volatility and ranges we're seeing, right? You, you can't trade a, a, a $0.10 cent stop in both Apple and Bank of America, right? You wouldn't want to use the same stops because those are very different moving creatures, right? You want to be dynamic with, with those, so. I totally, totally agree with that. And it, so, uh, speaking of the ranges, so I am a COVID trader, started in 2020, and I, I honestly have a little bit of pride that I'm still here, like, I don't think there's like a ton, a ton of us left. So I am uh, excited to still be here. But my experience, right, is very short compared mm -hmm. to a lot of people and the market in general. Like I have a very short uh, time of being in the market. And it's been interesting to me to hear more seasoned traders talk about how difficult the market is. And people are saying, like, in my career, I haven't seen a market like this, or I haven't seen a market like this in forever and ever. But this is just, like... I think those people are mostly wrong. Okay. That, thank you. That's the, that's the question I wanted to ask you. Okay. Tell me I, more. So what, ha what happens in trading, what people forget, what we all forget naturally, is just how different each of us are in terms of our trading and our methodologies and our styles and our tactics and the markets we're trading. So for, for you, people tend to come out and say, these conditions are terrible, you shouldn't be doing anything, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what, my friend? Like you and I are very, very different here. Like these are prime conditions for me. They may not be for you. When you get really happy with the conditions, they may be the worst they ever have been for me, right? And what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So it's just, um, it's easy to forget that and for people to, and people, most people are coming from a good place with that. Totally. They're saying, hey, I want to help people. I want you guys to understand, like, you need to be sitting on your hands here. But yeah, maybe if they're like a leader of a group and they're talking to specific people who are doing the same thing as them, then absolutely. But blanket statements like that on Twitter aren't really helpful and they're actually misleading to people because it leads people to think, oh, yeah, these conditions are bad. Well, they, it, it depends. It depends on what you're doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. A lot of times, uh, you know, for example, like Brexit, when that hit, and that was, was before your time, but, um, or, or Trump election when that hit, or when COVID hit, you know, early 2020, things were nuts. The, the crude oil space, which is, is historically a, a, one of my favorite markets, absolutely nuts. People that, you know, a lot of the generic advice out there was don't touch it, hands off, this is great, blah, blah, blah. I'm like trading around the clock. It's like the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. Because for me, when volatility spikes, typically when there's fear and blood in the streets, that's when the conditions are the best for me because there's cleaner, more thin, illiquid markets on what typically are thicker, 
stuck in the mud markets like the S&P can be. And now they're flowing and now there's clean momentum and rapid movement and more movement. Even if the market goes sideways, there's a lot of ups and downs and zigs and zags that I can scalp and take advantage of along the way. So anyways, different conditions for different people in in, in different times. I'm really, no, I'm really glad you said that because it, it is difficult as someone who's kind of new to just be like, the only way through this is through it, right? Like, I don't want to stop trading. But then I I think there's a little voice in my head, like, this is insane. People are saying this is, like, the hardest time. You're going to get killed. You're going to get killed. But then also it's like, but I'm a trader, right? What am I going to do? Just, like, not? not? I don't know. Well, a couple things on that. One, if the... conditions for what you're doing is is causing a situation where what was working is just clearly not working anymore. That's one thing. There could be some tweaks that can be made. So for example, if there's a little bit more back and forth through levels, they're not holding as cleanly like we've seen. Mm-hmm. The case could be made for widening stops, reducing size to kind of give yourself a little more breathing room with some of those, those traits, mm-hmm. um, just as an example. Uh, or it could be so that what was working is truly, truly not. And again, specific category tracking of your statistics over time and understanding what the normal ebbs and flows of overperformance and underperformance, what that looks like. And then when something falls off the cliff and is very, very wrong with your stats, that's when it's time to reassess. Is it the market? Is it you? Right? It, 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 some, most times it's actually our fault, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you very well lately could be oversizing your trades. There's many a trader who was too large in a trade that didn't allow themselves to be successful in a trade that otherwise would have worked. They were too big in it. They couldn't handle the little blips. It was too painful emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it's mental framework around not trading the P&L and focusing more on a process, getting back more towards focus on market-generated information versus red and green dollar amounts, you know, sitting there and looking at dollar amounts. That doesn't help any trader, right? So anyways, let me back up for a second. It could be that conditions are really bad for you. It could be that conditions require some tweaks. It could be that it's just your fault. Or it could be an opportunity if conditions are really bad for you to learn something new, Mm -hmm. right? For you to expand, to grow with a different environment. So for example, just real basic stuff. There are times where markets are in a bloodbath and equities traders do something called short new lows. They will literally short when we hit like a new low of day and it's like a breakout trade right to the downside breakdown um, and it works because there's momentum and there's force Mm -hmm. and there's fear and it and and you can like you can make money doing that yeah that doesn't work in most market conditions right? (laughs) right but there are times where it does and so part of what what traders that broaden what they do over time through different cycles, 
You just add little bitty things over time to your toolkit, and then you say, aha, I've seen these conditions before. Let me go through my Rolodex of strategies here and pull this one out and say, aha, I know what to apply to these conditions. So, you know, it, it could be an opportunity for you to, um, to learn something that you haven't been doing, or it could be an opportunity to add that wrinkle to your current methodology that when conditions are in a certain way, you tweak trade management, you tweak stop placement, you tweak sizing, those type of things. Bo. Blaine. We're hat twins. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. I'm so excited that we're sponsored by Roback now. I have been wearing my gear ever since it came in the mail, and I love the colors, but I especially love this little dog. I wore him to the pool last night, and people were giving me the thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, this stuff is awesome. I had um, heard about it before and always wanted some, but now that I have it, it has exceeded all of my expectations. Is this your first time receiving a gift in the mail from a company and like opening it and checking out the product? Uh, it might be. It certainly is associated with the podcast. I was, I have gotten those before and I was blown away by the quality of this product. It far exceeded what I thought that it would be. And I truly think I'm just going to like live in it all fall. Yeah. It's so comfortable. Yeah. I, I've been playing golf a lot this summer. And so I like all my golf gear. But the thing about golf shirts is like the sleeves are always too long and they're always too baggy. And like, you know, I'm relatively in shape guy. So this fits me perfectly. I still have full range of my arms to swing a golf club. And like I could wear this doing anything, not just golf. Like they got hoodies. They got quarter zips. It's like nice and stretchy. I love every single thing I got. Me too. Me too. I love it. It all looks so good together. It's part of a set and I feel so thrilled to be able to offer our listeners a 20% off code, which is penny 20. <laughs> all right. So you go to roback.com, which is R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. And you just enter Penny 20, you get 20% off and thank us when your order arrives because it's lovely. You also know how much I love uh, opening experience. Like I'm, I'm such a snob about packaging and the way things are presented and it was a treat. Yeah, the shit's awesome. I'm not like, yeah. don't even have to like, I would just promote this to anybody regardless of a sponsor or whatever because this shit slaps. Also, you've already been like low key pumping out the penny twenty to your closest friends because you really believe in it. No, absolutely. I'm I'm sending this to all my friends because it's shit. I think that they're gonna want anyways. So you know why not take advantage of the discount and rep it everywhere. Totally. Thank you, Roback. We appreciate you. Thanks, Roback. I I want to add. Speaking of new tools, um, I've really learned so much from Pax since we've been doing our show together. Trading a little and opening range. Got I've got the opening range now, and it has been just the idea of like if it's above the opening range we're long, if it's below the opening range we're short, has really cut out a lot of um, stupid trades that I've made in the past. And what a like easy thing to apply. A lot of like I don't think it's going to go higher trades that that don't work very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but it is, it's interesting the way things kind of evolve in just like new pieces of information. I always try to say it's like the, like an Avenger movie or whatever, like a superhero taking on things that like make you stronger. Yeah. Yeah. So, so are, you, are you, have you, how have you been applying, have you been trading um, outright futures like the S&P or? No. You've been doing um, it in the spy? In spy, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, same concept. You, in, While just watching. 30 second? Uh, yes. Except that I have to use the one minute because I just, am, I like cannot, I can't really grasp the 30 seconds. Gotta just, <laughs> fast, I gotta yeah. give it, I gotta give it 30 more Let's seconds. Let's give it at least one minute, Candy. Yeah, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. That's, that's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are you, you, are you like, trading it as a breakout style or are you using it as a filter kind of like you alluded to a moment ago of like well we're below the opening range here so it doesn't make sense to be getting long because i'm i was thinking about getting long so it's almost like a filter both both okay. things um okay. so i will use it as a fil i basically have just put a hard stop like if it's above the opening range i'm just not going to short things so like in in the best case scenario i could have my calls or my puts soon after the open and then just like scale them off as i see fit in the direction that i hope that it's going to go based on the opening range that's like kind of best case scenario and that has also allowed me to put on more size because like especially if it goes up and comes back and tests the opening range and then it will continue to go back up if be like i've stop. been yes like i'll take it and then sometimes i'll add more and be like either that there's like the stop is right here or i can take like more size on this so that has been um interest interesting and new yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's an it's a simple way to frame context, mm -hmm. essentially, right? I I personally, and I would I would it's no offense to packs or anything like that. You can make a career out of trading opening range trading. It's all about. There's going to be days where it works and it works well, right? Mm -hmm. When we don't go back and forth across that opening area. If we're going yeah. back and forth across that opening area, guess what? You're going to lose money, right? So. You might get scale outs and protect it and then not lose, but but anyways, it's just a very, very, very simple line in the sand. It's yeah. a very simple context. I think that there are, again, I would say this to his face, I think there are superior ways of framing context, um, taking into consideration kind of what's the higher time frame telling us, you know, I think there's context for where the opening range is, right? Like the opening range might be here above and below that may, for me in my trading may not make a hill of beans a difference because it's in an area that's maybe a general garbage area to trade or it's in a super, super bullish area. And I would not be interested in shorting breaks to the downside of the opening range. So like layering in stuff like that. But if, if you want to keep it super simple and keep it simple, stupid is a great phrase works for, <laughs> for, for all of us. Opening range can be a really, really good tool. I do. Um, 
like I was telling you with my swing trading, I do well with very simple kind of this is the stop. Or because because simple brings you. us to a place of repeatability. There's mm -hmm. there's an elegance, there's a robustness to the simple, right? Mm -hmm. And it's if if you're trying to do too much, if you're spreading yourself too thin across too many different instruments, if you're trying to get too advanced before you're ready to do some of those things, you're just going to be shooting yourself in the foot. We've we've all been there, and and um, it's 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 important as a as a someone who's developing to really stay within themselves for a while and, and continue to push those boundaries. But figure out, so, there's a, one of my favorite um, trading books is actually a tennis book. It's called The Truth About Winning. And um, one of the, th the phrases in there that I love is, uh, first do the simple, then do the simple well, then simply be the best at doing the simple. Right? I love that. It's yeah, it's it's a huge deal. I love that so much. And it's you know, it is so like profound kind of after all of these different rabbit holes that I've gone down to oh, be it's, able it's human to to spend about 10 minutes on the simple and then think, all right, I'm past that. Where, where can I go? Where, where, yeah. like, get, show me the real magic, you know, yeah. the secret sauce. Let's get to that. But really, if you look at the best athletes, the best whatever, you name it, their fundamentals are absolutely impeccable and flawless. And guess what? They did a whole lot of boring, boring drills and works and rep repetitive type stuff to hone that in and make it to where it's second nature. Now they don't have to think about it. But traders, for some reason, they really don't want to do that and, and just – locking in and honing in and really doing the simple well and getting those those skills down is just so huge so huge i mean i've been saying that to my son too about just like the importance of like yeah go hit off a tee for a practice. while i mean you're not above it absolutely not above it yeah 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 i and once I had a, a mentoring student who um dropped out of the mentoring it's been the only time this has happened and I was essentially telling them they've got to get back to the basics. Mm -hmm. They've got to start doing these simple things well. And they told me that they did not pay for me to tell them to do simple things. And that, that was not, they were, that's not what they were looking for. And they, they, they left. I doubt that person's a very successful <laughs> trader at this, at this point in time. I seriously doubt it. it. I mean, God, you can add so much shit to a chart. Yeah. So much shit, you know, like you can really well, heck, com even your... complicate it. <laughs> yeah, there, there were, um, it, we might, we might could talk briefly about it. I, I saw a comment on Twitter. Um, what, someone was like, get him to explain how the heck he uses this most complicated stuff, you know, or whatever. What, and what's so funny about that is once you get it, once you study something like market profile, what that tool does is it takes what could otherwise be a real messy chart where you're trying to find levels and do all these different things, and it puts it into one single little easy-to-read graphic. But to the untrained eye, it's like, well, what is that? That's complex. What is that? But really what Market Profile does is it simplifies market information down to very basic elements, and you can't read anything more into it. In fact, I will... I will say that one, 
perhaps one of my greatest gifts to the trading community is my personal take um, on market profile and ha just how much I use it and teach people to use it objectively rather than a lot of the greats that have come through and taught market profile and used market profile. It's this very ephemeral, ethereal kind of like, yeah, it feels like there's a lot of like trapped shorts here. The market's, the market's too long, you know, like what, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> you know, it, it very, very like, oh, this reference, that reference kind of in hindsight pointing out what, what, you know, some things like that. But for me, the profile, it lets us know where is a term called value, right? And it's no different, Penny, than the, Blair, the opening range. It's no different. There's literally an area, right? Opening range low, opening range high. In this case, it's a profile with a value area high and low. And guess what? If we break out of the upper end of it, that's bullish. If we break out of the lower end of it, that's bearish. If we're in the middle of it, that's a choppier zone, right? So. I love that. That really appeals to all my, all my simple, yeah. If, if it does this, we're bullish. I mean, that's so lovely. <laughs> so everyone, no matter you... if it's opening range or market profile or whatever, everyone needs some form of context, some mm -hmm. way of framing. If this happens, there's meaning to it. Yeah. If that happens, there's meaning to it. People who tend to trade the worst, in my opinion, are people who get sucked into, let's say, a trading time frame. Like, doesn't matter what it is. Could be a five-minute chart, could be a 15-minute chart, doesn't matter what it is. And they just look for, let's say, higher highs and higher lows. Or they look for just like wedges or patterns on just a time frame. You got to look at where that wedge or where that breakout, or in my opinion, where that opening range or whatever is occurring within you have to understand context of where smaller patterns and events and things things are happening. Because if it's in the middle section, it just doesn't it just doesn't matter. That's right. Or maybe there's a real bearish pattern, right? Um, that's occurring just above that value area. So it's mm -hmm. a bullish context, but there's a bearish pattern that you could get sucked into trading. Yep. But that, it doesn't does make sense to do that. Just like you were saying earlier, okay, we're um, below the opening range. I'm not going to get long, right, yet. It's the same this thing. It's Context helps people avoid stupidity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very much so. And, like, honestly, even if the context isn't real, it does, like, really matter. That's actually right? very deep of you. That's that <laughs> for someone for a COVID 2020 trader only two years in. That is deep, my friend. Well, that is deep. You. Thank you. You're you're absolutely right. Again, I I've got a decade and a half of short term experience. That means like a lot of experience. Okay. I have seen things, I've tried things, I've done things, I've gone through a lot of different cycles. There are ways of framing context that, uh, that align us with realities of the way that markets 
truly behave and there are ways of seeing what they're kind of up to. And then there are other ways of creating imaginary context, if you will. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Both work. Both totally. can work. If you control your risk and you can keep your head about you and you can be consistent in the application of what you're doing in terms of what I call being process-driven with a methodology and a, a playbook of trades and, and things like that, rather than just kind of shooting from the hip everywhere and stuff like that, um, the imaginary context can work. Totally. Totally. Yep. So I actually, I have a confession about my biggest trading weakness that just continues to uh, really get me. And I don't Let's think talk I've about it. talked about it on the podcast before, but so my Achilles heel of trading is thinking that somebody knows more or is smarter than me. And then letting that person's idea overtake like what I would do in a trade. So you mean you have an idea, let's say, to get long something for your system and what you're seeing. And you see someone on Twitter or you talk to someone or whatever and they have a their firm belief in like this is the way and it's, a, it's bearish or whatever. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. That's very common. I see yes. that all the time. My students tell me, hey, Merritt, I was seeing this, but you said this. And so I was like, well, Merritt knows. And guess yep. what? Their idea worked. You know what I tell them and what anyone would probably tell you who's, who's honest? No matter how good you get, maybe they are smarter than you. Maybe you're smarter than me. It doesn't matter. Guess what? The smartest people in the room are essentially 50-50 on their calls at best. Yeah. It's a toss-up. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter the, how good you are. Like, we could talk about something. We could say, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm using that leads me to have this view. And we could be objective about that together. But more times than not, traders who have those conversations, they could both make money on an idea. Um, I see it time and time again, even with it, because the, the, my NADRO traders, it's frameworks. It's not like a moving average crossover, like buy it, like everyone does the exact same thing. It's yeah. frameworks, and we can apply it in different ways to different markets or whatever. So I see it all the time, people. Number one, they see that I'm long, and so that messes with their head. My trader's on the desk. I have to teach them, hey, I'm just like you guys. In fact, my win percent on like a long-term average is in the low 40s. So in fact, if, if, if you were to follow you know, my calls and allow me to influence you ever, you should keep in mind that Merit's wrong about 60% of the time. So actually, there's edge in fading me if you, you, know, if you want. <laughs> so um, I mean, to me, and I've been exactly where what you're talking about there, to me, that truth about win percent is is it can really help liberate you doesn't matter how good someone is how smart they are their 50 their idea is 50 50 just like my idea and if that you know what the real magic is is risk reward which is what i heard from your methodology and what you're doing that you were getting and mm -hmm. then you were using things to help you with timing but that the risk reward was in your favor risk reward is all that matters mentally in yeah. my opinion 
if you can focus and think about and structure and analyze and find asymmetric risk reward, right? Skewed risk reward in your favor. Everything else, let's think of it like a toss up. Let's flip a coin. Who cares? Heads or tails, if it works or doesn't, we know that at that moment, we had risk reward in our favor, and it's our job as a trader. I always tell people, my process is a better trader than I am. Because guess what? I can be influenced by other people's opinions. I can have doubts for some reason about maybe I'm looking at something that I don't feel good about or doesn't seem right, or I can have intuition about things or whatever. My process is a better trader than I am. So a lot of times, I'll say, like sometimes maybe I'm doing a stream or whatever while I'm trading, I'll say, man, I really don't want to take this trade here, but I have to. I'm yeah. in. I have to. And so anyways, I hope some of that can be helpful or, or whatnot because everybody's a toss-up. Someone like me is, is less than a toss-up. So screw all. Opinions are a dime a dozen. You stick with your guns, and you don't don't open your trading up to randomness of wild variables like what mm -hmm. someone else may have said to you. Yeah. Live and die by your own ideas and be consistent in that, and that's how you're going to grow and learn and get better day after day after day after day. Yeah, it it's very sneaky how that happens to me because I've put up I've known this has been a problem uh, since I started trading and mm -hmm. I've put up some pretty extreme barriers to guard myself from it. Like Good. I can't, I used to really like discord. I can no longer be in a discord. It just can't, I just cannot, I can't do it because it just yeah. is too influencing. And then I can't really be on Twitter until I'm done trading for the day because Good like, for you. I just I can't be influenced. So it literally just has to be like me and the screen. And the last couple like big things that have gone wrong is I've gotten like some kind of information from somebody and been like, it seems pretty good. And I just can't, it just is not, it's just not part of uh, what I'm doing. And it just like, exactly. just continually it's like until I can really, 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 really stop doing that, I feel like I'm going to have to keep facing that demon. But I try, I try, I, I think it's acknowledging the fact that I have a problem with that. There is a lot of power in that. Absolutely. That's, that's step one. If you're, if you're oblivious to what's causing problems or losses or whatever, then you're doomed to repeat them, right? So... Mm -hmm good for you in, in being aware of that, like, you know, that's why I'm such like a process person and like build out a playbook and build out like real specific sets of conditions for your trades and then just become a master at doing those really, really well mm -hmm. because that will then make it easier for you to say, oh, I just got this piece of enticing information from maybe someone I really respect or whatever. 
that's not a part of my process here. Let me let me pull out my notebook here, right, and take a look at my checklist that I have right now for this trade that I'm I'm stalking and was preparing for last night and I'm ready for these levels and whatever. Oh, that's actually not a trade for me, so <laughs> in one ear, out the other. You know? Like yeah. the more process driven you are, the more easy it is to recognize any other variable. For some people, it's not other people's opinions. They can get attached to like news events, right? Mm -hmm. Like some people have a harder time going long than shorting because they're like perma bears and they think everything should go down because of some, you know, whatever news political bullcrap or whatever, right? So we all need to develop process checklists, steps, and treat trading a little bit more like an airline pilot or like a surgeon or whatever to where we really understand, okay, scalpel, check, hands, check, you know, or the airline people, check this, that, that, this switch, whatever. Boom, 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 go down the list. And anything that's not a part of that, just let it go. I, It messes me up the most if I've already in the trade and then see somebody else's target for the trade. So it can make you, is it both get out sooner if their target is closer than where you were expecting and hold on longer if their target is bigger than what you were expecting? It can affect you both ways? Yeah, sometimes I'll like add when I really should be on my like last runner of the trade. I'll be like, oh, it looks like this could go a little further. Maybe I'll like add some back and then I, and then I, things really fall apart. <laughs> so, and, um, I, one thing, one more thing you could do is start a little journal of when you did that and what it cost you. And start connecting idea. emotionally with literally staring at the dollars and cents of how that decision kept you that much from you know your goals and moving forward and and good P and L and consistency or whatever. Um, I think I think I got that from one of Steenbarger's books, who who I used to work with in New York and whatnot. He would come into our offices and stuff. Um, would help me a ton. Um, anyways, connecting to that and starting to log it, if you will, it can, he also says that one of the biggest motivators can be disgust. Mm -hmm. So if we can finally get to that, I mean, look at humans in general. If you finally get to that place where you kind of like hit rock bottom or whatever, and you get disgusted enough, you can truly find that energy and that motivation to make those changes. And so logging it rather than just like being pissed off for a little bit and then forgetting about it, logging it and staring at that thing and having to put another one in there or whatever can help with the, the motivation to do the right thing. Next time you're in a moment of weakness, next time you get that feeling that, okay, I'm influenced. I want to do this. Maybe let me add where I shouldn't. No, you know what? That's costing me. I want to develop... I want to develop my way and live and die by my levels and continue to 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 do to trade well. Totally. I had uh do you know Jared Tindler? I don't know him, but I, I know of him, yes. 
he was on the podcast and it was a lovely episode, but on that, Ooh. he told me that he like help. We did basically a therapy session, which I did not mean, I did not go into it. But well, funny, when you, when you funny. invite the wolf into the den, you're, you, know, <laughs> know. you know what you're in for. <laughs> I know. And after talking to me for an hour, he said, you know, there, you are never going to be like satisfied with the way you trade unless you 100% trade like you. And that has to yeah. be, that has to be the winning thing for you. Like it can't be the money. It can't be anything. You just have to find your voice and trade the way you want to trade. And uh, that's been very, very eye-opening to me. And helped and me if, if, walk away from a lot of like, that is not for me. <laughs> that's not what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the more, like going back to kind of one of the first things we talked about, the more specific you get about the categories of your trades, real clear, like different subcategories, names for them. Oh, this is the the annexation of Puerto Rico trade. This is the blah, blah, blah trade, right? Like I, I know them, I recognize them, and anything else is not that. The more specific you get about that, the easier it will be for you to do what what his advice was, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Merritt, this has been lovely. And I'm so sorry that I did not ask you more about you, but man, did I enjoy this conversation. So <laughs> I had a great time too. I, I, really I knew I, I was hoping it. we would talk about you like we did. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not sitting over here, man, I wish we talked more about me. No, if, <laughs> if you want to talk, if you want to hear a lot about me and my story and all that stuff, like, I've done those podcasts a lot, many times, like with Credelli and uh, Alpha Mind, and and you know all the all those kind of things. So people can go find those. But um, I, I thought it would be a lot of fun to talk about you today, and because you're at such a cool place in your development, you're experiencing new market conditions relative to what you've seen, and um, I don't know, it's a lot of fun. Well, I really, I really appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can find you on the internet or you know, at home, <laughs> AOL.com or my home. <laughs> um, um, my, my, uh, Twitter handle is just my name at merit black, two R's, two T's. Um, uh, our, our company site is apteros, A P T E R O S trading, apteros trading.com. What does apteros mean? Well, do you do you do you have a couple minutes here? Or we, sure. We, yeah. We, no, I'd love to know. All right. Um, so, Apteros literally means wingless. Okay, but we'll get to that. It's Greek. So on the Acropolis, that big hill with like I think the Parthenon and all that stuffs up there, um, they put a statue of like. Uh, Athena Nike, you know, the goddess or whatnot, and of, of like victory and war and all that kind of stuff and success. And um, typically, that goddess has wings, right? They specifically put this statue by this temple of, of Athena um, with no wings, apteros, wingless, so that that she wouldn't leave their city she would stay with them and they would maintain victory and all those kind of things. So I kind of learned about that story randomly 
And I thought, you know what? That makes sense in terms of this business that I'm starting with, like, we want to maintain victory, obviously, but also, like, staying grounded. And, the, and, and how applicable to you here, get this, staying true to ourselves, right? Not flying all around and, and doing all these different things, but staying grounded and, and doing the things that we want to be doing and doing those things well and maintaining that victory. So that's, that's where it came from. I love that. I love, I love when you find the perfect word. It's just... Isn't it fun? <laughs> little piece of magic. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, everyone, go follow Merritt on Twitter and, you know, support him. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoyed it. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the Penny Lane podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane podcast. The Penny Lane podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.